0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. On we rumble. It's off-season show number nine. We got lesson number eight coming up on this. Then we got more playoff breakdown before we spend our Friday show tomorrow. That is a full playoff dive. We'll go back through some of the series prices as everything sits And kind of do a little bit of a where we are now redux sort of deal. I also, next week, I really want to get into some lessons learned from folks other than me. I still have a bunch more. We've got one for today that's going to actually surprise the crap out of you. There's my BuzzFeed uh, headline of the show. Dan's got a lesson for Thursday and you'll never believe what it was. There you go. You guys want me to slip into play-by-play voice a little bit? I can do that on the podcast if you need me to. Welcome to the show. It is Fantasy NBA Day. Still, I'm Dan Vespers. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys. Listenership in the off season so far, fantasy off season, has uh, actually been decent, better than usual, which makes me think that maybe there are just sort of more of you around than before. I'd be pretty happy if this is where we stuck somehow the whole way through. I don't think we will it always it it tapers off pretty good at the end of May early June finals things like that and we don't really cover the n b a draft on this show. If I did, I'm sure we'd see a June spike, but I don't and uh I don't care to so you know screw it. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Vesperus. you guys know the the deal over there that's not changing time soon um and sportsethos.com is the website of our benevolent overlords at ethos fantasy BK. Another early show shout out to our buddy Joe Orico and fantasy MLB today. And I have other good news we have a fantasy NFL today show coming back better than ever in the not too distant future here. So we'll have the big three layered up. We might even have a hockey show for you next season. That reminds me. I got to talk to the uh, the potential host on that guy. So lots of really cool stuff going on over here at Sports Ethos. Please do check out Fantasy MLB today. That show exists. It's daily. It's Monday through Friday already right now. And they had Bogman. Our buddy Bogman was on yesterday's show. I missed that guy, man. They stopped doing basketball. So we didn't get to do the real big three, me and Boggs and Nader. That show was fun. So I don't get to talk to Bogman and the Welsh nearly as often as I'd like to these days because uh, basketball is the only thing I do, and it's the only thing they don't. It makes me sad. But Joe got to talk to him. Wah. But enough moaning. Let's talk basketball. Games tonight. Thursday evening card. Memphis in Minnesota. That one changing venues, as does Dallas, Utah, and Golden State, Denver. This is... uh. Not the same three games from Tuesday. You know, got the extra day off because of travel. So Utah-Dallas, they went Monday, a couple days off. Now they go again here on Thursday. Same deal for Golden State and Denver. Memphis-Minnesota had the two days off between games one and two. So now they all get squished together here for game threes. Memphis-Minnesota tied to one. Dallas-Utah tied to one. Warriors are leading the Nuggets two games to nothing. You guys know where I stand on sides by now. I don't really like them. I don't have a great feel for sides. I have a pretty damn good feel for totals. You know, Philly winning in overtime yesterday. We just keep talking about it. That one, the, the pace was crazy low. Previous game, Philly just kept scoring. This one went under even in overtime. Boston, Brooklyn went under. If you roll with the pace, and it's not always going to hit. You're going to have outlier games. You're going to have games where one team is just exceptionally bad at doing stuff on offense. You're going to have, you know, like Milwaukee with a 1,000 turnovers. That type of stuff... That you expect to fix itself, sometimes doesn't, but you gotta go with the numbers. And so that's what we're just gonna continue to do here. Most of the totals we've, we've placed so far have been pretty good. You no, know, we're going like 3 out of 4 on a lot of those 4 card days, 2 out of 3. Sometimes we'll split it, but the pace just doesn't lie. And it does, first 3 games of a series, does it tends to slow down. It inches lower. And then it kind of levels off a little bit because teams kind of just figure out what they're doing. And then fatigue starts to slow the game down. They just don't have the the energy anymore. It's the same team again. Game six, game seven. This guy's getting run over by trucks trying to get through a defense that knows exactly what they're going to do. At a certain point, there's just nothing else you can try. So Memphis, Minnesota, game one of that series was way back on Saturday. Minnesota won at 130, 117. The pace on that one graded out at about 240, and that was the total on Tuesday's game, right around 240. And, you know, my thought at the time was I didn't know how much wiggle room there was going to be. You know, you figure the pace comes down game over game, And so I think I said on the podcast on Tuesday, if I was going to go any direction, I'd go under, because I thought first game should have been about 240. Game twos are going to come down, usually about one to two possessions, so you're looking at about 235. Well, anyway, it tended at 220, so uh, plenty less. There was a whole lot of space. But, again, what we have to do is look how it got there. Minnesota shot 39.5% from the floor. However, If you, once again, look at sort of more of the other numbers, they should have, based on just pure possessions alone, opportunity, they should have been a bit higher than that. Not that much higher. Not like an overwhelming number above, but it should have been about 109. So they were under by about 13, based largely on 19 turnovers, yikes, and shooting 39.5%. So they should have been about 109, meaning you had 13 points to do 20. Now you're up to 233. What about Memphis, though? Or did they go over the mark? Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo! say all of your friends. You start to sweat. So they should not have been about 117. So Minnesota should have been about 109. Memphis should have been about 117. Again, that difference is basically the rebounding number if you're looking at possessions. But turnovers did also play quite a role. Good, big, fat free throw numbers in this game as well. 60 between the two teams. So then our thought is, as you look at the next one, 117-109, 226 was roughly where this thing should have graded out. 226. What's the number for today? 236. I still think we have some room on the under. However, the great fear, of course, is what about the change of venue? What does that do to this series? I'm inclined to believe that Minnesota plays a little bit better on defense. But I do think they play a bit better on offense. So that 96 is probably not going to stick. Meaning that if Memphis gets into the 120s again, it'll probably go over. But I look at this and I think, okay, what really should happen as we look at the next ballgame? Because Anthony Edwards was fine. Cat was not very good. He he was in foul trouble. So that should be better for them. The turnovers were very high. But I think the turnovers are going to be kind of high. Memphis forces a lot of them. They're a good steals team. All of that, to me gets wiped away by foul stuff, by foul stuff. We heard so much complaining through the first two games of this series, because these two teams, I mean, 60 free throws seemed like a lot. They had 70 in game one. That number actually came down. I think it's coming down again here in game three. I would look at the under. I think that that's the direction it's going. Let me see what direction the line is moving right now, because I sometimes I just grab the one that's popped out in my face and I don't look and see how it got there and that does tell a little bit of a story Grizzlies Tebowl's open at 238 it has ticked down a little bit I just don't think it's ticked down enough and I think people are gonna bet the under on this game and it might very well go over if Minnesota has a huge offensive game if the pace rockets back up to what it was at game one I just don't think that's gonna happen it's a series that's squirting along Mavs-Jazz, I can't in good conscience tell you guys what to do on this ballgame because Luka Doncic is a game-time decision. Dallas won the last one 110-104. That game went over at 206, which I think I might have even said this was the one where you had to look back the other direction because the Mavericks were so terrible in game one. That was like that one rare give-a-glance-at-an-over. Utah 104 was pretty close to where they should have been Dallas is way over the mark. I mean, this is a very slow-paced series. I don't expect that to change. The rebounding stuff probably tilts a little bit. You know, Utah did a much better job on the glass than Dallas. Dallas only had 3 turnovers in that game, but nobody shot any free throws. This is a weird one. Super super weird ball game. Like Utah only had like 92-ish something like that, 92-93 actual possessions in the ball game, but the or Dallas did, excuse me, but they hit twenty-two three pointers. They're not gonna be that efficient in the next one. But then Luca comes back. It totally changes the pace and how they play. Totally changes it. That totals at 210.5. It's up from 209. But again, you know, you're if Lucas if we don't know Luca's status, I don't know how you jump in on on side or total in this ball game. Because based on based on the pace. You'd think under 210. I, like we haven't 214. This last one went 214. That's only because Dallas was just perfect efficiency wise. I know they didn't shoot that great, but three turnovers is amazing. Still, very few free throws. That number could come up and push the total up a little bit. Luca's going to change things a lot, so just leave it alone. And finally, Warriors Nuggets. I, I still I said it before the last one. I don't know what the Nuggets are going to do with the war with the Warriors. There's just no answer. Golden State won by 20 again in Game 2. It was Game 1. They won by 16 in Game 1. It's a thumping. I mean, this is the game you figure if Denver has any shot, this is the game where they might have it. But Draymond Green is just too smart on defense. The Warriors' offense is clicking. The only way that they lose this game is if if the focus lags a little bit. Total is coming down. It was 226. It's down to 224 now. And you know what? Just just for good measure, we'll play a little bit of that same game. Last one ended at two thirty-two. Warriors shooting fifty-five percent, hitting 3 three-pointers. They were brilliant on offense, absolutely brilliant. Should have scored about hundred and five if they were average in the ball game. Nuggets actually, uh, because of rebounds mostly, actually had more more possessions than the Warriors in that ball game. Turnovers weren't helpful, but they made their free throws at a better clip. Well, whatever. It, it, it sort of doesn't matter at that point. 113 on one side, possessions-wise or opportunities, whatever you want to call it, like 105 on the other. 218, 220, that's kind of where it was. It went over because the Warriors were so good. But this total's not really that bad. It was a pretty good number. I mean, I would at 226, I would have leaned ever so slightly to the under, because like I said, I think the pace in the last one had it graded out about 218. As it's dropped down to 224, it's on its way to 223. I don't, I don't know how much room there is left with that total, but lean to the under on the first and the third game, middle game, just nothing at all. I got nothing at all on that one. Let's we'll try to do some recap type stuff over on social media on this stuff. I don't, I don't really want to spend a ton of time on the podcast looking back when I can do that on Twitter. You guys want to hear to do with what to do with the next one? Yeah? Yep. Okay. Lesson of the day. And this one hurts me a little bit. This one hurts me a little bit. But the lesson of the day is a lesson from me to me. This isn't even a lesson for all of you guys. If you want to follow me with it, that's okay. The lesson from me to me is Don't take such a hard line with rookies. I feel like I need to qualify this a little bit. They call, you know, my old man, the old man squad. It has kind of taken on a life of its own. Um, The players don't have to be old to be on my fantasy teams. They just need to have old man appeal. Old man appeal, which basically states that a player is going to be undervalued due to a one of two things. Number one, if they're actually old, they're probably going to be undervalued because there's an ex- expectation of decline or they've just been doing the same thing for so long that nobody cares about them anymore. And then they fall in drafts. If they're not old, an old man squad player or someone who that, you know, we can call an old man fantasy game is someone who excels at the less desirable categories. Someone who's good at percentages. That's why Tobias Harris has been on my board every year for like a billion seasons now, it seems. Because there isn't a whole lot flashy about it. I mean, he scores a little bit, but, you know, nothing overwhelming. Rebound's okay. Doesn't pass much. Three-pointers are fine. Field goal free throw percent. Gives you both of that stuff. There's a lot of guys. I don't know. I pulled Tobias Harris because you guys have heard me talk about him for so long. But there's so many players that have old man type game. And there are even young guys now that kind of have old man type fantasy game. It's young guys too that are not like way up near the top, but pretty far up the board. Chris Paul is old and has old man fantasy game. Great percentages, not much scoring. Big assist, people like the assist, but new good steals numbers also. Tyrese Halberton kind of had an old man type fantasy game until Indiana totally turned him loose. Sacramento kind of did too when, when Darren Fox was out. DeMar DeRozan, he had a big year, but he'd been kind of an old man fantasy game type of guy. I mean, these are names, these are notable names, but they're old man types. And we've gone through these a million times. This is not a show where we're going to talk about who the old man squad is. But they're not all that old. They're just not rookies. The only year we basically wiped out from the old man squad board was rookies. Because with rookies, there's always going to be a certain shine to them that you can't ignore enough for them to be an old man type value the reason i want to soften the stance a little bit is because i've you know i've always just said like don't deal with rookies don't deal with them they're a big headache but i think we need to amend that that uh postulate or whatever we want to call this theorem i don't remember math all that well it's a long time ago i was pretty good at math in high school uh you know calculus 11th grade that kind of thing but i don't remember most of it anymore it's been a long time it's been a, it's been a painfully long time the amendment the the corollary to this to the way we've operated on rookies needs to be not that you just don't draft rookies but that you probably don't draft them inside the top 100 there's always at least one There's always one. There's always one rookie that turns out to be a really, really strong value. I would argue that that rookie this year was Scotty Barnes. He was the best. By the end of the season, he actually had the best, by averages, rookie campaign out of all of them. It was Scotty Barnes. He ended up passing Evan Mobley late this year. Barnes was 68. Mobley fell into the 70s after that crazy impressive start. Mobley, remember, he was like wasn't he top 40 for a while? Well, he petered out, even though he played 71 games. That was good. Barnes played 75. That was better. Scotty Barnes was, was absolutely fantastic. Herb Jones actually ended up with a really nice rookie season. He was 82. Uh, no, mid-high 70s, 79 by averages, 39 by totals, because Herb played in all but, I think, three games this year, three or four games. Franz Wagner was also very durable. He was outside the top 100 on a per-game basis. I bring these guys up because of all the names that I just mentioned, only Evan Mobley of that group was drafted inside the top 100. And I've said before in sort of my first softening of the rookie stance that if you're going to consider a rook, make it a big man. Ricky big men have a much higher hit rate. Because they don't have to worry about turnovers, ball handling, all the type of stuff that tends to sag the number of a rookie guard. Usually field goal percent is a big factor in that. Mobley, field goal percent 51. Free throw did end up hurting him a little bit. That one fell into the into the mid to high 60s. If, if you're looking for a rookie big man, see if you can find one that can actually make their field goal and their free throw numbers. Because then... All you need them to do is go get a few rebounds and block a shot, and they're golden. Like, if they're going to get starter-level minutes and their percentages are both decent or better, you're gold. There aren't many big men out there in the NBA with good percentages in both playing starters' minutes that aren't fantasy-relevant. Very few. Very few. And when I say big man, I don't mean like a stretch four. I mean like a traditional four, a five, or a stretch five. So like real, an actual big man. You got to work hard to find someone like that playing starters minutes this year that isn't inside the top 100. They just are. Because then, you know, all they have to do at that point is rebound and block a shot. Some of these big men can do it without even needing to hit their free throws. As we saw here with Mobley at 75, Mitchell Robinson was number 84 by the end of the year, thanks to big, his block numbers coming up and big field goal percent, but he couldn't make a free throw to save his life. But if you look at big men who are not a massive net negative in free throws, they're inside the top 100. That's just it. And when I say not a a massive negative, I mean like 70% or better. You just, there aren't big men. They aren't there. You get outside the top 115, they're not there. Big man playing medium to, to starters minutes that isn't a free throw mess. They're just better than that. The closest thing to someone who doesn't hit that mark would be like Ivica Zubac, but he only played 24 minutes a game anyway. If he played 28 minutes a game, he'd be inside the top 115, 110. He'd probably be inside the top 100. I don't know that I can find a big man with good percentages in both playing 27 minutes or more that isn't inside the top 100. I don't think it exists. So that was the softening at the beginning of this year. And I was kind of forced into it. I don't want to act like I did that voluntarily, I forget what show I was on, but someone was like, if you had to draft a rookie, and they were they put a whole bunch of qualifiers. Dan, we know you hate doing it, but we got to ask you, if you had to draft a rookie, which one would it be? And I said it'd be Evan Mobley because he's a big man. Uh, we know he's not like a 40% free throw shooter. He's going to get to play. It's probably going to go. Uh, I thought it was going to go up as the year went on, but they just threw him right into it, right out of the shoot. So I was wrong on that one. It was better than expected there. Uh, and he rebounded and he scored a little bit and he blocked some shots and got some steals and his field goal percent was good and his free throw number wasn't all that great, but he he was solid. But he was drafted at 85 and his per game mark ended up at 75. So even then, even the guy we look at as like this was your, like, a guy you took a shot on a little bit, late seventh, early eighth round type pick, he only succeeded. He only beat his mark by one round. After all that, Cade Cunningham did not. He was a late 6th, early 7th. He finished at 89 by averages, 104 by totals. He didn't hit his mark. And they rested him a lot because, you know, tanko. The tanko. The softening I want to do here at the end of the season is, so I'm adding on, I'm adding on, The initial postulate, the initial theorem was don't draft rookies. The softening was, if you're going to draft a rookie, let it be a big man who can hit his free throws and is going to get to play. The next level of softening as we fine-tune this rule and lesson learned is you can take a shot on a rook outside the top 100. But, but, understand that this year was not really the norm. There were a few hits. Mobley was a hit, barely, but he was a hit inside the top 100. Scotty Barnes was a massive hit outside the top 100. Herb Jones ended up as a really big hit, undrafted. And then Franz Wagner was very durable, but on a game-to-game standpoint, he was fine. He was like one, he was the very last guy on your bench before you get into streamer territory. He was one click above that, but durable, so better in head-to-head than in roto to that, to that effect. A guy that a lot of people drafted in the ninth round or tenth round was Josh Giddy. and he got shut down just as things were starting to come around a little bit for him. He was number 161 by averages, 201 by total, so big swing and a miss. And if we want to add one more lesson to the rookie stuff, we can just make today's show all about rookie lessons. It's don't draft a rookie inside the top 100, but if you do, make sure it's a big man who can hit his free throws. And if you're going to draft one outside the top 100, probably don't go with someone who's going to be in massive NBA adjust mode with the basketball in their hands. Scotty Barnes had a lot of success because he didn't have to orchestrate. Herb Jones just did what Herb Jones does, and that's play a ton of defense and get defensive stats, we didn't know he was coming. Franz Wagner kind of came out of nowhere. He orchestrated a little bit, but not that much. Orlando had seven-point guards, so he didn't need to be doing that. The two guys on the list that I just read of six like relatively big-name rookies, Jalen Green would be the only one that I didn't really mention, and then Alperen Sengun is another one who... Ended up on a lot of rosters, but for a very different reason. Jalen Green came on really nicely late in the year, but if you drafted him, it was a disaster because he was awful until the end of February. You can put him on the board if you want. You know, Jalen Green was tended to be drafted somewhere in that Josh Giddy range, ninth, tenth round type of deal. That was a big miss for most of the season. The names that missed, not surprisingly, are were guards or guys that in Green's case really relied heavily on scoring but couldn't do it at an efficient clip. But Cade, I mean he was he was fine actually. Like it wasn't a bad season, but he missed his mark. He didn't hit the his ADP. And then Josh Giddy really didn't hit his ADP. He wasn't close. The shutdown had something to do with it. But also by averages he was behind his number. The guys that hit, big man who could hit his free throws well-rounded player who kind of came out of nowhere to get massive minutes, defense-first guy. And then Franz Wagner was probably the one you'd call the surprise of that group. If only because he didn't have what you what I think you'd consider a classically easy-to-translate fantasy game, but he was good at the free-throw line, like very good, 86%. Field goal percent was decent this year, better than you'd expect, 47%. Not much defensive stuff, so it's hard to float fantasy value, but his percentages were decent, were better than expected. But I don't want to get into the weeds too far on this. I want to make sure that our rules are a little bit easy to follow. And the easy to follow rule, and it's, and it's little adjunct stuff about rookies are, in general, don't take the plunge. But if you do, the, the times and places to do it are, one, I would say never inside the top 75, ever. Unless someone, <laughs> unless it's like Anthony Davis or Cat. So it's a rookie big man who hits their free throws, can do everything, is going to play massive starters minutes, and is also like the runaway number one type guy in a draft. That'd be the only time. But in general, don't draft a rookie inside the top 75. In general, don't ra- draft a rookie inside the top 100. But if you're going to, it's got to be between 75 and 100, And it's got to be Evan Mobley. It's got to be a rookie who can deliver in percentages, basically. I know his free throw wasn't that good, but it started off okay and kind of petered out. And will rebound, and it's going to get to play minutes. they got to play minutes. You can't spend a pick that early on someone who's not going to get starters minutes pretty fast. But in general, if you're going to draft a rookie, let it be outside the top 100. And let it be someone who you think might have sneaky playing time appeal. I would still argue that I think Franz Wagner generally went undrafted. In a lot lot of drafts, he went undrafted. His ADP was outside the top 130. That's not one that I'm that upset about. Because, again, 103 by averages, meh. Herb Jones, nobody saw that one coming. So he was undrafted. I really think the one guy who ended up being sort of like a good swing was Scotty Barnes. He got a lot of hype right before training camp. We didn't know how the Raptors were going to use him. It seemed like he was going to be sort of Swiss Army knife style, but then he came out of nowhere and actually had offensive appeal. We didn't think that was coming. 15 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, the steals, the blocks, figured that was going to be there. Rebounds, maybe to steal, Block, that, like, that was a possibility. But 15 points a game, that came out of nowhere. So I still, despite the fact that there was all this success in rookie ranks, the only ones that were consistently drafted that hit were Mobley by one round and Scotty Barnes by a bunch of rounds. Those are the wins. Cade was a near miss, little miss. Wagner, by totals, ended up as a, as a decent one. Giddy was a big miss. Jalen Green ended up as a miss, if you're looking at the whole year. Alperin Shengun was a giant miss. Jalen Suggs was a giant miss. Davion Mitchell put up big numbers in uh, De'Aaron Fox shutdown time. That doesn't really count. Iota put up big numbers for about a month when everybody on the Bulls was hurt. I don't think we can really count that. Alperin Shengun the last two weeks of the regular season when Christian Wood got shut down, can't really count that either. Chris Duarte had a couple weeks in there when everybody was hurt. But for the most part, I think we can still largely stick to what we've been doing. We just have to soften the stance a little bit, a little bit. So we will assess some of the rookies going into next year. We'll look at their games. We'll look at what they did in college, what stuff might translate, what team they end up with, what kind of role that looks like. And a lot of times you can ballpark it a little bit. Like we knew Cade was going to run the offense in Detroit for the most part, but we also know that he was going to struggle with the NBA adjustment. Evan Mobley, that was a little bit easier to game out. He was kind of a relatively safe rookie pick, weirdly enough. And then the rest of them, you're like, well, whatever, you know, flash in the pan kind of thing. If you want to throw Scotty Barnes in your 10th, 11th, those types of guys, fine, whatever, you're probably going to drop a lot of those dudes anyway. So what difference does it make if it's a rook or if it's someone else? You're looking for somebody who's going to play minutes at that point. But don't get it twisted. I'm totally fine with second, third-year guys. The Dan Best Result Man Squad doesn't have to be like nine years in the NBA. That's a running joke at this point. But it's not reality. It's mostly just dodging rookies. But what we're going to do is we're going to soften that stance. We're going to dig a little bit deeper, and we're going to come up with a play, whatever it might be for next year, that's not so hard and fast. It's not so hard and fast. We're going we're to bend the rules a little bit. And that was a lesson learned from me to me this year. Don't be so set in your ways, Dan. Be willing to modify, be dynamic. Change on the fly. Be a better man, <laughs> be a better fantasy player. What I've gone back, what I've taken, Scotty Barnes, if I could go back. I still don't think I would have. I still didn't believe that they were going to use him as much as they did. And then the rest of those guys I really don't feel bad about. Herb Jones was a pickup. Wagner wasn't a giant win. Like, I don't feel bad about missing that one. Scotty Barnes is the only one I think you should feel bad about missing. And even then, I look at the handicap and I'm thinking, nah, you know what? Like, okay. Didn't see it. But, you know, there were other guys going in that range where we had plenty of success with them. You know, Ryan Canals came on this show, gave everybody Desmond Bain in that range. I went Gary Trent in a bunch of spots in that range. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't all misses at that point. There were some names in there. It just so happened that one of them was a rook this year. But we don't want to shrug it off. We want to get better. We want to learn from things. And that is why we'll take a softening of the stance in 2022-2023. Have a lovely Thursday, everybody. Enjoy the ball games tonight. Back tomorrow with a full playoff redux Friday weekend edition episode here on Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Basteris. Hey, I uh, doubt any of you are new, but for those who have been listening for a while, thank you, first of all. But if you have a moment, please do drop that five-star review on the pod. We hit 800. I don't know how we did it, but I, maybe we can get to 801. What are you going to do? It's the off season. It's the offseason. Show number nine in the books. Did I say eight at the beginning of the show? I got to go back and check that. It's show nine lesson eight. I think that's what I said. Ah, who cares? Who counting anyway? See you tomorrow, everybody.